if I took a drink out of Lake Erie, it would probably taste. <laughs> you know, dead fish and all. <laughs> Hey ya, hey ya, hey ya, hey ya, hey ya, hey ya. Fuzzy bear, fuzzy bear. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Zero G Adventures podcast. As always, I am Tim. I'm Brian. And I'm Chris. And we welcome you back for episode five. So this is a very special episode to all I think I can say pretty much all of us as we are going to be tackling Cedar Point. Um, Cedar Point, it, it is steeped in history and there is so much um about cedar point that a lot of the general public doesn't know um or the gp as we call them so we're really going to focus on the history pretty much this week and potentially get into the roller coasters and the more exciting thrill rides in the next week or even the week after just depending on um how popular it is so i mean first and foremost we want to thank you again for coming back listening um, this week I did have on the rundown that it was the episode of fifties, but now I kind of have to change that. And now it is the episode of sixties. So this week we hit 60 followers on Facebook, 60 followers on Instagram. Uh, we cracked 60 podcast plays as well as 60 YouTube videos. So yeah. yeah, we definitely thank everybody for all of their interactions with us and their likes and their shares and their comments. We really appreciate it and really hope you continue to help us grow and support us. So uh, with that, I think we're going to transfer it over to our favorite segment, which is always the drink of the week. It's a dark and stormy night. Our drink of the week is the dark and stormy, which is a drink themed on the Lake Erie and the winter storms. Um, So uh, if you want to check out us making the drink, uh, you're going to want to check it out online. And Tim will talk more about that later. Yeah, so uh, dark and stormy. What do you guys think? Well, it's gingery. I it think is it's, gingery. It hits you after. It's it's kind of funny because it's like a prolonged. Like you sip it first, and you you taste the lime, and then all of a sudden you get whacked in the face with some ginger. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, it's very potent. It's not it's not a gentle drink. With the ginger and um the lime juice, it almost reminds me of lemongrass. It's almost herbal, but it's enjoyable. It's kind of like drinking an essential oil. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um it, it's not it's not bad. It's not bad. It's just a different taste than I think what any of us were expecting. So yeah, I wasn't expecting the herbal notes. It's like almost like a Ricola, but in a good way. I mean, it is better than if we actually drank from Lake Erie a little bit, you know. But I mean, it's true. It it's 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 a sipper for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of like Cedar Point. It's different in its its own. 
It's a good way to put it. If you want to see more about the drink of the week, uh, make sure you check out the full recipe on our website. Um, at zerogadventures.com, as well as the video of us making the Dark and Stormy that's going to be up on YouTube, as well as a post on our website. So make sure you go ahead and check it out. Make it at home. Let us know what you think. Were we right on, or do you think something different? So what we got on tap this week, uh, we have a couple different news briefs. Um, We're also going to talk about uh, the 2021 New Ride Recap. And then we're going to head right into Cedar Point and cover a lot of the history of Cedar Point. So for News Brief, what we got coming out of Disney World? So we have some Walt Disney World and some Disneyland news. The Jungle Cruise at both parks will be getting a new story with some cultural sensitivity changes. It supposedly is not getting any characters or tie-ins from the film, the new film that's coming out later this year. Um, Disney says the new version is going to open in 2021, but they have not mentioned if and when the existing attraction is going to close for the refurbishment. Um, This kind of concerns me a little bit. I mean, the ride does need updated, but, you know, there's some some good jokes that I hope stay. And yes, yes. I mean, they they are kind of tongue in cheek at points, Mm -hmm. but. I think that's what gives it its character. Right. Uh, you take a lot of that away, it's just going to be a plain ride. Right. But I also think, despite what they're saying in the press release, this is kind of a covert way of possibly laying the groundwork for adding the characters. If the movie does well, they will pop up in gaps in the ride that you didn't realize were there. I will probably bet they're laying the groundwork to put them in if it becomes popular. And it's, oh, yeah. it's, this just works out in their favor. <clears throat> Give the ride a refresh, put some new infrastructure in, and they leave the door open. So, I mean, the good news is they say that the new version is going to have the skipper more involved. So I think that's a good thing that they're still keeping the skipper. You know, like the land narrator went away when they did that refurbishment. So at least the skipper's staying in it. Right, right. But it remains to be seen whether they're going to be on a tighter script to match, you know, the possible success of the movie. They might be talking more, but they might have less leeway to actually crack a skipper joke. True. I mean, some other Disney news besides that. The Festival of the Lion King is going to return to Disney's Animal Kingdom this summer. Woohoo! Unfortunately, in a modified form, so some more socially distanced interactions. Like, I doubt the kids are going to go around and parade around the stage like they did. Boo. And um, no tumble monkeys, unfortunately. Boo. Which was like the best part of the show. Word. So So moving up probably about 10 miles up the road to Universal Orlando, um, the Revenge of the Mummy actually reopened. Um, It's been down for quite some time with uh, some new refurbishments. Um, We reopened with some much-needed upgrades, um, including improved projections as well as lighting. So um, definitely looking for the clearer version of Imatep. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people have been saying about, cause I mean, it was closed, I think for two weeks, maybe refurbishment. It was, they stayed open for the holidays and then it closed. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people, the greatest improvement they say is the turntable room. Like they, Oh, that yeah, that needed some upgrading. Um, some people say the projections need to be dimmed a little bit that they're, too bright that it kind of gives away you know you could tell their projections now but i'm sure they'll adjust those i mean 
but it also goes to show that at its core, it's a ride with good bones and it just really needed a refresh and not a fundamental change. Yeah, it's a great ride. I, that's one of my favorites of Universal. Oh, everything from it. the queue line, the whole storyline, uh-huh. and the, you know, it's great. Um, but the thing that people really love is actually, like, in the coaster now, when you see all those ghostly images that, you know, as you're flying around, people say that it's much easier to see those, and it goes better with it. So something else coming out of Universal Orlando this week, uh, which is a rumor. The Blue Man Group show may remain closed to Universal permanently. The Blue Man Group is now owned by Cirque du Soleil, which also shut down all of their shows in the world because of the ongoing pandemic. Special note to this is that in November of 2020, Cirque du Soleil emerged from bankruptcy, and it was sold to their creditors led by the Catalyst Capital and the formal CEO of MGM Resorts International. The theater may move back into the Universal Studios Florida footprint, that the building used to be used as part of the Nickelodeon Studios tour in the park a long time ago. Time will tell if this rumor comes true or not, or what will replace it. Do you guys remember that? Do you remember, like, they had that big fountain in front of it? Yep. The mm-hmm. slime. I I only went on that tour once. It was 1999. It was, like, it was my first trip to Universal. It took a long time. You were in there for, like, 45 minutes, and then you got to do a little bit of, like, the... um the double dare like the family double mm-hmm. dare game yeah. they did the slime and stuff yeah it I re- just, yeah, yeah. I, rem- I remember i went there in like 95 96 and that was at the height i could honestly now that fear factor is gone i could see them maybe bringing it to the fear factor stage because that's a huge open area i mean they use it for horror nights for well what was academy of villains until all that stuff happened, but um, and Bill and Ted's excellent adventure, but then they also use the historic factor in the day. I wonder if they're going to bring it there. Yeah, you never know. But it also depends the future of the Cirque du Soleil and what the new ownership is going to do. Do they want to be involved in theme parks or? Well, if they're going to open the the one at Downtown Disney, if they're going to open the one at Disney Springs. I wonder if they're going to want to have another show up at Universal. But they're also contractually obligated to the new Disney show. And I think the Blue Man Group had diminishing returns over the last few years at Universal. But the big difference was Blue Man Group requires four people on stage, whereas Cirque du Soleil show requires a lot more. So even though you don't have as many people in the audience watching it every night... It's cheaper to produce. It's cheaper, exactly. And it's a good show. I've seen it twice. And it was, I mean, it's different than what you think. It, it's one of those shows that Blue Man Group, you either love it or you hate it. Mm-hmm. Like, you either get it or you don't get I'll, it. Don't get me wrong. I'll, um, I am going to be sad to see it go because it is something different that was available. And it was something you could do without having to go into the park to see the show. So moving a little closer to Pennsylvania, we, the latest news from Conyot Lake Park is that they have a new buyer. The park's been dealing with financial issues for decades and recently filed for bankruptcy, operating in a Chapter 11 reorganization the last couple of years. Um, the park actually remained closed all of 2020 due to the coronavirus, but a new buyer offered to purchase the park and all of its assets. Now, will this be another Indiana Beach situation? I don't know. I hope so. Um, the bankruptcy court will determine how things play out. Stay tuned. I hope. You get the right buyer in there, you could really make something out of 
out of that park. I, mean, I, the, I hate to see the blue streak go. And I mean, what's funny is, you know, we talked about Geauga Lake last week. And one of the things about Geauga Lake was the locals weren't really supporting it. That's the opposite with Conneaut Lake Park. Yeah. The locals up there really do support the park. And I think that's going to be the difference. But the new whoever comes in and whoever buys it and tries to make it a legitimate park again has to do a lot of infrastructure work at that park to bring it up to the standards of most park goers today. And finding the right person to spend that amount of money to do that above what they're spending to buy the park, that's the tricky proposition. Yeah. Yeah. I mean there there's definitely promise for it. There's definitely something there that they can capitalize on. Yeah. It's just Again, I have hope for it, but call me cynical, it's more likely condos are going to pop up. Yeah. Well, in other news in the area, the latest rumor from Palace Entertainment, which is the company that owns Kennywood, Idlewild Sandcastle, Lake Compounds, Dutch Wonderland, and several other parks, is supposedly planning to downsize full-time staff and may keep some smaller parks closed all of 2021, including Idlewild and Soak Zone. Really? Yeah. It, it's going to be interesting. It's still a rumor at this point, but there's definitely some sources out there that I mean, when you look from... when you look at the amount that those parks have taken a hit on, I mean, can they afford to to pay to bring it back this year without, you know, they're going to use their flagship Kennywood and Lake Compounds and try and recoup some of the money to be able to pay? It comes down to, is it worth running the park at a loss to keep it open, or do you mothball it for a year and hope for the best? Because a lot of the reports I saw coming out of Idlewild you weren't really getting your money's worth for the gate. Oh, in no. 2020, definitely not. People no. that went in 2020 said that half the rides were closed. Most of the games were closed. One or two food stands were open. Even the water park was only operating at minimum capacity. Like, you know, so. And people drive an hour sometimes. to. I mean, yeah, it's from Pittsburgh, what, 45 it's minutes to an hour. Yeah, yeah, to get there. That's a big disappointment. Yeah. And the only thing that's good about that place in that aspect is that you're paying per carload. You're not paying mm-hmm. per ticket. But again, it, it's one of the sad things about the industry. It comes down to a numbers game. Well, it is per person now. They, it's not. They only do the carload thing like once a year, and they didn't. They haven't done that for I don't think the last two years. Now you pay oh. per person, and you get a wristband, and oh. it's like forty some dollars normally per person. They got Kennywood prices going on up in Ottawa. Yep. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So I think that about wraps it up for our news brief of the week. Without further ado. Finally, the park of the week. A park so big that it's going to take two weeks to do. Cedar Point. Yes. America's rock and roller coaster. Right on. A place like no other. Get to the point. It's had so many slogans, so many different catchphrases. Cedar Point is a large park with 150 years of history. Um, Because of this, we're going to talk about the history and we're going to talk about all the normal stuff we talk about a park. But because it takes us, because there's so much, it is going to take us this week and next to do. Yes. So, I mean, Cedar Point, whether you are an avid coaster enthusiast or you occasionally go to amusement parks. You've heard of it. You've heard of it. Everybody knows Cedar Point. You might not know where on the map it is, but you know that it is a place. Cedar Point's huge. 
Um, it's out on a peninsula itself. Um, it's 364 acres. And that's just the park. That's not the rest of the resort. Just Cedar yes. Point, the park, is 364 acres. Yes, which it is from the front gate to the back of the park is a mile and a half. So you go to the back of the park to ride the ride, and you come all the way back to the front of the park to ride another ride. You're walking three miles. Um, so it has 71 attractions. 72 if you include Gemini's two rides. Nobody does. Nobody does. It's a half ride. You got to ride both sides. Not Gemini. Gemini's two separate tracks. Whatever. You're confusing Racer Kennywood. Cedar Point, it's a seasonal park, so it normally opens in early May um, and closes in late October after their Halloween events or sometimes early November, just depending on the timing of Halloween. Yep. And it's not a park you can cover in one day, let alone a few hours. You can't. Nope. And they plan for that. They offer four different resorts. They, uh, five, if you include their new resort that they bought. Oh. No, I'm kidding. I'll just give me a taste of medicine. <laughs> I'm just fucking with you. It's easy. And they, pl- <laughs> and they plan for that. They offer four different resorts with options, including an indoor water park, cabins, and a campground. And two of the resorts are walking distance from the park itself, or so they say. Personally, I think from Lighthouse Point, it is quite a distance (laughs) of a walk to get to the park. But two of them are within walking distance from the park entrance. Sure. Well, they keep saying that they're going to expand Frontier Town, so maybe there'll be another gate gate back there (laughs) somewhere. Um, So the the you know in terms of resorts, uh, the the resort that everyone is familiar with is the Hotel Breakers. Hotel Breakers. It is the classic beachfront resort. Uh, has views of the park, depending on which side you're on. So the views of the park, as well as views of Lake Erie. Um, it's located within walking distance, within two entrance gates of Cedar Point, as well as Cedar Point Shores Water Park. Um, the deluxe resort, it has three restaurants inside, pizza delivery, two bars, two outdoor pools, one indoor pool, two hot tubs, outdoor fire pits, Starbucks, fitness room, arcade, many beach activities, um, including a lot of beach parties and volleyball matches and things that go on in the summer, um, as well as it is a fantastic place if you're on the beach right out in front of the breakers to watch the fireworks. Um, And it offers the most, but at the same time, it is also the most expensive. Depending when you go. I mean, if you go early in the season... Like I do. You get great deals. But if you go in like the middle of the summer... It's like $400 a night on the the smallest room. So choose wisely. Um, So Lighthouse Point is another area which I really didn't have much experience. I've never stayed at Lighthouse Point. I didn't really have much experience with it. But you can choose between waterfront cottages, inland cabins, 10-person deluxe cabins, and an RV campground. Now, all of those options include parking, outdoor seating with a charcoal grill, Shared areas include an outdoor pool, hot tub, activities, and laundry facilities. Again, they say you can walk to the park entrance, but they also offer shuttle vans to take you to the park entrance as well. See, the thing with that is walking to the park is not the problem. It's at the end of the day. It's at the end of the the day. (laughs) That's the issue. Walking to the park, you're like, oh, this ain't bad. This ain't bad. See, Chris, this ain't bad. Brian, we're good. Yeah, 10 o'clock at night. 12 hours later. (laughs) Yeah. 
So costs can be high for this resort, but the cabins hold like six to 10 people. So if you split the cost with everyone in your party, if you have 10 people going, this might be the best option for you. Yeah. Um, as long as you like everyone, because you're in the same room with everyone. So <laughs> no, won't do it. <laughs> Chris is a no on that. So those two are on the peninsula. Now we're going to go off the peninsula and see what Cedar Point offers there. Yeah. So right at the entrance to Cedar Point um, from Route 2 is Castaway Bay. So normally they're open year round. And the resort includes an indoor water park, which is really cool. And it competes with Great Wolf Lodge and Kalahari down the way. Um, but due to COVID-19, currently it's not open. The hotel, like I said, it is located right outside the main gate to Cedar Point before you enter the causeway to go out on the peninsula. Um, it's about a 10-minute drive from the park. Cedar Point parking is not included, and they do not have a shuttle to and from the park. So you will have to drive to the park and park in the main parking lot as well as pay to park. Um, besides the indoor water park, they offer an arcade, an outdoor pool, a deli serving, a deli serving Starbucks. That's what they advertise it as. They say they have a deli that serves Starbucks. Now, I haven't stayed here since they redid the hotel, so I don't know if it's a Starbucks that has fancier stuff. Or if it's just a deli that serves Starbucks coffee. That was just, yeah, it was a little they odd. Got a little but cooler that has little glass cappuccino <laughs> bottles and that's right. It. Yeah, with your pastrami. <laughs> <laughs> uh, they also offer a breakfast buffet, a restaurant, laundry, and activities. They also have a Quaker Steak and Lube restaurant there that's as the well. Restaurant. That's what they count as the restaurant. Oh, uh, okay. Um, the indoor water park again because of where it's at seasonally that the indoor water park is a huge draw for Castaway Bay. Yep. And they do offer, like, if you don't stay there, if it's not busy, they do offer single-day tickets just to enjoy the water park. Oh, that's cool. But if you stay on site, you automatically get passes to the indoor water park, depending on how many people you pay for that you say are staying with you. Unlike the Maui Sands. Yes. You had to pay extra for that. The former Maui Sands. <laughs> that's another story. So Cedar Point's other last official hotel is Cedar Point's Express Hotel, formerly known as Breakers Express. This is the value resort at Cedar Point. And just like Castaway Bay, it's not within walking distance. It's located off the peninsula, and it's a five to ten minute drive from the park. Just like Castaway Bay, parking is not included to Cedar Point, and they do not have a shuttle to and from the park. I'm shocked that they don't offer it and charge you to do it because <laughs> yes, like you are saying the, the prices to stay at their quote unquote value resort. And you still got to pay the, what is it? 20, $30 to park $20 to park $20 to park after you're staying there and paying their. Now, when Joe and I stayed there, um, we wanted like the evening we got there to go to the beach. So I went to the front desk cause they do sell discounted parking at the front desk. And I said, Oh, can I get parking, um, for tonight and tomorrow at Cedar point? And she said, Oh, sure. Here you go. And she gave me a pass. I didn't have to pay for it. It was oh, good cool. for both that night and the next day, which was great. So if you ask nicely, <laughs> you never know, you might save on the parking. A little Cedar fair magic. Yes. So it's pretty much a standard hotel with some Cedar Point pictures over the beds. I mean, 
it's an overpriced comfort in, but it's a nice out. It does have a nice outdoor courtyard and swimming pool. Although the best benefit from staying at any of these four hotels is the early park access you get. 60 minutes of time to be exact on select attractions every day the park is open. Yes, 60 minutes. Because like the way they have it set up now, if you have the one pass, if you have a season pass, if you just have the regular season pass, you get 30 minutes mm -hmm. of time before the park opens to the public. But resort guest, and is it gold? Platinum. A platinum. Platinum. So the platinum season passes and the resort guests get a full hour. Yes. Um, before the park opens to the public. So that is definitely a benefit. If you find, if you go the right time of the year, you can actually find cheaper rates at all four of these parks, um, primarily early in the season, but also in September before Halloween weekend starts. Yes. Those bonus weekends, you can get some great rates as well. Mm -hmm. So where do you guys like to stay when you go? So Chris, you and I, 20 years, we go up, you know, the first full week in May that the park is open, um, there's nobody there. Well, that's because it could still be snowing. <laughs> the weather's still... There have been times where Chris has asked if I had been smoking in line because he could see my breath. However, there are some times when we go and it's 85 degrees outside. It just, it, it's very unpredictable. Yeah, May is like that. But, um, especially right on the lake. Um, but... You know, to be honest, I mean, to stay at the Breakers for $150 a night, and we normally stay for two nights, so it's 300 bucks. We already have our season passes. You know, it's to, to stay there and to know you can leave out of two gates and be within five minutes of your room is insane. I, I love it. And I love that it's right in the middle of the park. You go to sleep, you look out the window, you see Top Thrill Drags are all lit up. You see the Millennium Forest lights and, you know, it's just really nice. Or if you're staying on the lakeside, you know, you can watch, you know, Lake Erie and the ships coming in and out of Sandusky Bay. Um, but during season, uh, I mean, you guys really turned me on to the out and backs. So we live three hours away from Cedar Point, two and a half, just depending on who's driving. Um, you can go out, come back. Um, but if we are going to stay, typically I stay off site. Um, I'm not going to spend the money for their value resort when I can get the same exact room without a Cedar Point picture for 60 bucks a night versus 190. Yeah, you just got to choose wisely, shop around. Yeah. Now, for me, if it's a one day trip, I'll check the rates at their Express Hotel and I'll stay there. Um, if I want to drive up like the night before, just to make it like not so hectic driving yeah. in one day, um, I'll stay there. But if it's going to be a longer trip, like two or three days, if I find a deal with hotel breakers, I'm going to take it just for the convenience, like you said, the convenience of no matter which end of the park you finish your day in, you have those two different gates you could get to the breakers. And like, if you want to go for a walk in the morning or late at night along the beach, they have a boardwalk that goes, well, they call it a boardwalk. It's a cement walkway, um, you know, that goes up and down the lake or you can walk on the beach. It, it gives it more of a resort vacation feel than just an amusement park. True. True. And like Tim had said, um, there's something to be said for proximity. So for multiple day trips, I do like the breakers and that is a tradition for us. And besides the bonus of the extra park time, there's the other bonus of not having to deal with parking. Because once you yep. park at the resort, you're parked. And then you don't have to fight leaving the park at the end of the night. 
to get out of the lot. There's something really nice about being able to drag yourself at the end of the day when you you are dead tired from the last thing you rode to your bed for that night with the least amount of steps b- between those two things as possible. Yep. So if I'm going to do a multiple day trip, we stay at the breakers. Um, if it's a simple trip, we're a seasonal thing, maybe Halloween where we want to go up, but we're too tired and we know we're going to be too tired to drive back that day. I'm not that picky. Any cheap motel, as long as you know there's no visible stains and the plumbing works, <laughs> I'm fine with it. No. Truth. Now, the one caution Facts. I will say, and this has been irritating me a little bit about hotel breakers. The last couple of years, they don't sell one-night stays. They have minimum requirements of nights that you stay there. They started doing this a couple of years ago. Because I wanted to stay there on one of our trips where we drove up the night before, and I couldn't because I needed to stay at least two nights. <laughs> so when it's $200, $300 a night, you're then required to spend 400 to $600. And that's one of the reasons why I chose to stay at the Express Resort. So it is something to notice. If you go to try to make a reservation on their site and you can't, call the number, see if they can do anything. Yeah. If they can't, Stay somewhere else. With uh, all the hotels and and resorts and things that we've talked about, why? Why do we have this? So let's kind of go back and let's talk about the park history. So, um, Brian, why don't you start it off? Come with me. 1870. It It all (laughs) started. It all started. Location, location, location. Back in 1870, you had this perfect peninsula on Lake Erie with a beach filled with cedar trees to give you shade. There was one problem. (laughs) Well, everything changes, Tim. There was one problem. There wasn't an easy way to get to it. And once you were there, there was nothing to do except the beach. There was nowhere to change or use the bathroom or anything like that. Um, This was before the causeway, before there were roads to get the cedar point. So in 1870... A guy named Louis, I'm going to butcher his poor, Zistel, I believe. Louis Zistel opened a beer garden, a bathhouse, a playground, and also operated a steamboat to get you to and from the park. So by 1888, they added a theater, a concert hall, saloon, bowling alleys, restaurant, and the first official ride called the Water Toboggan, which pretty much was a giant slide into the lake. Plunge, or splash. In 1891, electricity finally came to the park, and then the park opened its first roller coaster in 1892 called the Switchback Railway. This was before lift hills, and you had to climb a tower to where you boarded the car. Now, what's funny about these, I I tried to look up a little bit on the Switchback Railway, because basically it's two towers, one on each side, Mm -hmm. two tracks right next to each other, or right on top and bottom of each other. So my question is, when the car gets to the other end that everyone gets out, how do they get the car back up again? Does like a bunch of like strong men take the car and lift it up to the top? Or is was there a mechanism built how they get the car back up to the other side? I think, th- to be honest, I either saw something in a Cedar Point documentary or one of the Kennywood documentaries where they actually had people that were pushing it. They rode like they stood along the front of the car, rode the ride backwards, and then they hmm. 
pushed back. People got off, made it lighter. And but then again, those cars, they were a lot lighter, lighter than yeah. they're not a six yeah, the ton. Pe- drag yeah, the people train. were lighter, too. So. Well, they didn't have any safety equipment on them either. No, no. Was, well, if any of you out there listening, know, send us a message. Let us know if you know how they got the cars back to the other. end. True. So the owners of the park found a businessman from Indiana named George Boakling to help revive the resort. So he had a plan to make significant changes, and he was a smart man. So in late 1897, the park was sold to the Cedar Point Pleasure Resort Company of Indiana, to which Boakling was involved with forming this company. So before the park opened in 1989... (laughs) Well, that was a blooper. (laughs) 1889. Oh, was that an actual title? Yes. So he was reading it correctly. (laughs) Where'd it go? So before the park opened in 1889, the new leadership made significant repairs and improvements, including fresh paint, a new merry-go-round, and a much cleaner park all around. To bring it back to our earlier discussion, the first hotel at Cedar Point opened in 1899 called the Bay Shore Hotel. The second hotel opened in 1900 called the White House. Oh, they were real creative. I bet you it was white. Probably. Eggshell. Eckrew. In 1902, a new roller coaster called the Figure 8 Roller Toboggan opened, which featured a new chain lift technology to create a full circuit roller coaster. Yeah. So in 1905, the Hotel Breakers opened which we just talked about, as the largest and greatest hotel on the Great Lakes. The Coliseum building opened the following year, and both of these buildings are still at the park today. Additional roller coasters were built between 1908 and 1917, some using older parts, using parts of their older coasters and just expanding upon them. But the biggest improvement during that time was the opening of the Chassis in 1914, the first paved road to drive cars to Cedar Point. Up until this point, guests arrived by boat. The first famous roller coaster at Cedar Point opened in 1929 called the Cyclone. It was 72 feet tall and reached speeds of 60 miles per hour. The Great Depression hit the park hard, and even though guests were still on the midways, they weren't spending much on food and other concessions. Now, back then, Cedar Point didn't own everything. They literally, like, food stands, rides, everything was owned by different people so they depended on money that you paid to ride the rides to survive so people were there but they weren't spending so george boakling passed away in 1931 and management that replaced him ran things the same way that he did in the past but at this point the park needed to change how they were doing things to keep guests coming back year after year then then in 1934 a new roller coaster called the High Frolics replaced an older coaster from the 1920s. This was the only new coaster built in the 1930s, and it only lasted a few seasons as it was torn down after the 1939 season because of winter storm damage. The only roller coaster open at Cedar Point in the 1940s was the Cyclone. The onset of World War II brought new challenges to the park as well. Rationing and staff shortages were one of the many problems that faced the park. That's right. So the Berardi family opened their legendary French fry stand in 1942. And in 1946, the Midway Carousel opened and was located where the first drop of Raptor is today. It is the oldest ride in the park that is still operating today. 
1947, the GA Buckling Board of Directors was authorized to sell the park because of little to no profit since 1931. In 1948, the park started using Get to the Point as a slogan, but the park was continuing to lose money. And then the Cyclone roller coaster was removed after the 1950 season, resulting in Cedar Point opening without a single roller coaster. A Kitty Steel roller coaster called the Kittyland Super Coaster opened in 1953. And in 1954, the park opened its first official Kittyland, although most of the rides were already at the park. In 1955, the Ohio Turnpike opened and increased how many cars were driving to the park. Plans for the causeway to be built were moving forward once again to help with the issue of the traffic on the Chass, or the Chassis. In 1956, that was a year of uncertainty for the future of Cedar Point. The state attorney general wanted to convert the park into a state park. Legrus acquired Cedar Point, and they were initially planning to convert the park into a residential development once the lease was up in 1959. The general public supported the park and voiced their opinion that the park should remain an amusement park and not be turned into a residential development. The causeway finally opened in 1957, making it much easier and faster to get to the park. In 58, the park also added the Cadillac Cars ride, which was so popular, the park looked into adding similar rides in the following year. It was great. Attendance was up. Revenue was up. And at the end of the 1958 season, it was announced that the resort would continue and that they would turn the park into the Disneyland of the Midwest. Many new attractions opened in 1959, including the Wild Mouse, Steel Roller Coaster, which was the first steel coaster at the park for adults, and the first adult roller coaster the park opened since the closing of the Cyclone. The Midway was expanded and now featured 60 rides and attractions, including the new Turnpike cars and the most popular ride of the season, the suspended monorail ride. At the end of the decade in 1959, there was an expansion to the Million Dollar Marina and the future of Cedar Point looked bright. So that wraps up part one of Cedar Point's history. If you want more details on the history, we do have a lovely article on the website. Check it out. It goes through the first, I think, 70 years of the park's history. Next week, we're going to continue the history of Cedar Point and talk about the park today, including some planning tips, the park's attractions, roller coasters, food, and shows. Now we can go to Maverick. So now it is time for the Coaster of the Week. And it takes us way into the future from where we were just at to the year of 2007. And we are going to talk about Maverick. And I am so excited to talk about Maverick just because this, to me, was a mic drop for Cedar Point. Yes, Maverick. The West was never this wild. So Maverick opened in 2007. Um, it changed a lot of things for Cedar Point. Up to this yep. point, it was pretty much record-breaking numbers. And I remember when they removed Whitewater Landing, all of the construction walls around the ride said, taking in a new direction. Yep. And it was all of this, and no one knew what it was. So Maverick debuted in 2007. It's a steel track multi-launched coaster made by Intamin. Uh, it's a custom blitz coaster. The height, 105 feet, which is staggering. A lot shorter 
than Top Throw Trackster and Millennium Force. And But its first drop was 100 feet at a 95 degree angle. So it was steeper than vertical. Now, the thing about this coaster that was really cool is that it featured a mid-course launch in the a tunnel in the middle of the ride, which got you up to 70 miles per hour. The lift hill itself, though, was also kind of a launched lift hill, just at yeah. low speeds. It included the twisted horseshoe roll, which inverted riders twice with two 360-degree corkscrew loops in opposite directions, two overbanked curves, two airtime hills, and many low-to-the-ground changes in direction. 4,450 feet of track, and the ride was long. It was 2 minutes and 30 seconds. Still there today. I don't know why I'm saying it was, because it still is. It operates with six trains, three cars per train, seating two rows of two per car, so 12 passengers per car, which sounds like a small amount of people for a park as big as Cedar Point. But they load two trains at the same time. Um, now, restraints, this is where conversation's mm. interesting. So <laughs> when, when Maverick first opened, it featured these bulky over-the-shoulder restraints with hard padding um you on know, a 95 degree lift or drop that's not comfortable no and with the, the whole ride is these abrupt changes of direction so every time you change direction your head hit the shoulder yep. restraint it really ruined the ride for me when it first opened but you learned how to ride it you allowed to like lean forward and brace yourself against and you know yep, you figured yep. it out <clears throat> but in 2015 they replaced these restraints with soft vest shoulder restraints resulting in a much 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 better ride experience um a fun fact the ride originally was built with a heartline roll following the tunnel and the curve that goes by the water bombs um, but it was removed before opening to the public, and an S-curved section of track was put in its place. Velocicoaster has entered the chat. Yes, we finally <laughs> get to experience the Heartline roll. Yes. So, you know, in terms of Maverick, so you you really have to think about the time frame of when this was built. So it was built during 2006. They started it in early 2006. And it officially opened, I want to say, well, end you already May. said that. Yeah, the end of May in 2007. So at that point and in the 90s, America was going through what was called by coaster enthusiasts, the coaster wars. So everybody was building bigger, better, faster, stronger rides. And then Cedar Point came out with Maverick. And the announcement of it was like, it's 105 feet. It's... A 95 degree drop. Really? That's what you're going to do, Cedar Point? You are the roller coaster capital of the world. This was, to me, like I said before, it was a mic drop. Because it it really showed that you didn't have to be the biggest, fastest, strongest in the world to be an awesome ride. And to most coaster enthusiasts, this ride is still in their top 10. Yeah, I mean, it is one of the best coasters at Cedar Point, hands down. And the thing that it does well you can't really say about any other coaster at Cedar Point is the theming. Yeah. It fits perfect into Frontier Town. They play old Western music in the station. Um, you know, the details on the ride, the trains themselves, 
it just it really ties itself in quite well. Yeah, I think it really set off the theming for that area of the park. They always had that frontier type setting, but then Maverick came along and then Maverick became the precursor to Still Vengeance. And the Still Vengeance theme is based off of Maverick. Yep. And, you know, it, it really set off that area of the park and lines. This is one of the, the rides that you're going to wait the longest in in the park. And it's not just due to capacity. It's due to popularity. And I mean, the ride still has a decent capacity. It still does mm-hmm. 1,200 people per hour, which is pretty decent. You know, I mean, it's not quite, you know, the 2,400 the Gemini does, <laughs> you know, but True. it's still moving or the 2,000 an hour that Millennium Force does when it's running all three trains. But it's a great ride. Yeah. And to double back to what Tim said, it's a great example of good, solid design, trumping, chasing titles and records. So many, again, as I've said before, so many rides that go for the record, you ride them once and you feel like you're good. I could ride Maverick over and over again. and It's still going to be an enjoyable ride from the first time I rode it from the last time. Mm-hmm. And it also goes to show you even though the ride wasn't record-breaking, it won the Golden Ticket Award for the best new attraction of 2007. Yes. Yeah. And I would completely agree with it. I was I was there when it was soft opening. And it, it I was on Mean Streak, and I looked over and saw it running up the hill, and I'm like, holy crap, that thing is trucking up that hill. Um but I saw it going up the hill and then we walked over and they're like, do you want to ride? We're opening it. And I walked in and I rode it and I was like, holy crap. Like that. It, it's a very surprising ride with how low to the, I don't think it gets more than like 20, 30 feet off the ground other than the first drop. Yeah. Once you're off that, that curve, first drop, you're, you're pretty low it, to the ground the whole so time. So it makes you feel like you're going a lot faster. Which is great for the windy season because if a lot of rides in the park are closed because of high winds, Maverick is usually still open. Which is a common occurrence at Cedar Point. Yes. <laughs> yes. And you know, Maverick is a launched coaster. It's an LSM launched coaster, which, which stands for linear synchronous motor, which brings us to our roller coaster term of the week. Yeah. So traditional roller coasters, you know, they normally use the chain lifts and you hear that clinky, clanking, clink, 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 take me up, um, you know, transport their trains from the top of the hills. However, launch coasters are a little bit different. And, you know, there's a lot of different types of launch coasters, um, many of which you may have rode without realizing it was technically a launch coaster. So So the first launch coaster opened in 1977 um, from two different designers. So two of these open, designed completely different. Um, Aero Development opened one and Schwarzkopf opened another. Arrow's launched loop, um, you literally had to climb up a set of stairs. They launched you out of the station. You went down a hill through a loop, returned to the other side, and then went backwards, launched through the same loop and back up, and then you had to walk down 50 feet of stairs again. Um, it used what's called a what is called a winch power electric motor. <laughs> now, Schwarzkopf's shuttle loop used a counterweight, which, when dropped, gave a burst of energy that was used to accelerate the train. Two completely different rides, 
but the launch coaster was born in 1977. And some of those still exist. Yeah, very few. Yeah, I know the Arrow one still exists somewhere. I think so. It's moved a bunch of times, but I don't know if it's still open or not. Mm -hmm. So some of the, the Schwarzkopf shuttle loop installations, um, for example, the defunct laser loop at Kennywood, which is actually being, it was moved to Six Flags Mex or Chapultepec or well, Yeah, it something. wasn't a Six Flags. It was a park <clears throat> in Mexico. Yeah, it was a park in Mexico. Um, it was actually bought by Indiana Beach um, and will be opening Supposedly. rumored yeah. in 2022. Um, that used a flywheel. So what, what what that was was a large disc that spun at a high speeds by a motor. And then when a train is launched, it used the energy stored in that flywheel. So I, if I remember correctly from Kennywood Memories, it was kind of similar to what the mm -hmm. old aircrafts used yes, to launch exactly. jets off the aircraft carriders. And I love that. And I love mm -hmm. in Kennywood Memories, the video where it just shows the moving that that. I don't even know what it's what's what it's called, but it literally you hear ka-chunk, 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 mm -hmm. and it going back. And then once it's engaged with the train, they launch it. Yeah. In 1995, Space Mountain in Disneyland Paris opened as the first full circuit launch coaster. The launch uses an electric winch launch, which pushes the coaster train forward. Now, and up to this point, we had three different types of launches. We had the electric winch, the counterweight, and the flywheel. I'm actually amazed, though, that it took that long and that Space Mountain in Disneyland Paris was the first full circuit launch coaster. True. I, I was amazed. I looked into that. I was like, wow, that's like a long time of, you know, we were going through stand-up coasters and a whole bunch of different ways of riding rides before we looked back at the launch coaster. So from 1996 onward, they moved on to different types of launch coasters. Enter the world of the magnetic launch, um, which is still seen today. So both of these types of launches debuted in 1996. The Outer, Limit, the Outer Limits Flight of Fear opened to King's Dominion and King's Island and both used limb technology. So let's talk about limb for a minute. What do we mean by limb? So limb is an acronym for linear induction motor. So the motor coils induce an electric current and a magnetic field occurs. The moving current pulls the reaction plates on the trains and the timing is non-critical. Now LSM or linear synchronous motor use electromagnets interact with permanent magnets that are mounted on the vehicle. It's more efficient and allows for less current to produce more force. The disadvantage is that the timing is more critical because instead of inducing the magnetic field in the reaction plate, the electromagnets are interacting with a fixed magnetic field on the vehicle. Hence, the actions have to be synchronous. Now, the first LSM coaster was actually the now defunct Tower of Terror at Dreamworld in Australia, which opened in 1997, but sadly closed forever in 2019. Now, I know all this sounds complicated, but it really just comes down to magnets. One uses a sheet of metal and magnets to move you, and the other uses magnets against magnets to move you. True. So, with the, with the magnetic launches, so I always have a hard time differentiating between, between the two. Yeah. Between, well, I, I know to look at them, whether it's a limb or an LSM. So a limb is basically Wicked Twister or Volcano at King's Dominion or... Um, Flight of Fear, of course. 
flight of fear. Mm -hmm. So it's basically the train has a thin metal plate on it and it goes between these magnets. So from the roller coaster videos in the nineties, it was always that magnet that's positioned on the track attracts it and it pushes it away. Mm -hmm. So it flips the current, but the LSM, it's kind of like it's all running in a, in a line. And then as it passes, it starts pushing it away on the, yeah. on the and rock and roll, end. rock and roller coaster at Hollywood studios is an LSM. Yes. With a variation. Cause it actually uses Chris. What would you say it uses? It actually uses I, the magnets aren't on the train itself. It's actually on the shuttle that pulls. It's almost like a flywheel catch yeah. car yeah. with it, magnets. Sorry. Yeah. The catch car proper term has the magnets on it, not the train itself. So enter 2002 and the birth of the hydraulic launch. So this is powerful. Um, the first hydraulic launch coaster actually opened at Knott's Berry Farm in 2002, and it's known as Accelerator. And it's still a favorite among coaster enthusiasts to this day. It was later used on top of the dragster at Cedar Point, as well as King to cause Six Flags Great Adventure and also Storm Runner at Hershey Park. Correct. Now, Intamin is really the, the group that took the hydraulic launch system and made it work. Um, it's complicated. So the heart of the system is several powerful hydraulic pumps, each capable of producing around 500 horsepower. Hydraulic fluid is pumped into several different hydraulic accumulators or which are energy storing devices containing two compartments separated by a piston as the incompressible hydraulic fluid is pumped into one compartment nitrogen in the other compartment is compressed i feel like we're back in chemistry <laughs> right a lot of people get upset when they go to these parks with these hydraulic launch accelerator coasters and they're down these rides are so complex and there are so many different sensors. So the speed, it does not launch the train at the same speed each time. It factors in weather. It factors in wind. It weight factors the in the weight of the train. It factors in the weight of the previous train that was launched. But at the end of the day, all you really need to know between the science and physics behind it is that it provides a very smooth and very powerful ride. The next type of coaster we're going to talk about is the pneumatic compressed air launch coaster developed by SNS Sansi. I'm going to let Brian take this after my long and winded accelerator explanation. So the systems are similar to the hydraulic launch systems, except they use compressed air to launch the vehicle. Now, the big difference between the compressed air launch and the hydraulic is the acceleration rate. In the, in the pneumatic compressed air launch, it is much more powerful with its acceleration. Um, the one remaining high-speed air launch coaster in Japan has an acceleration rate. You go 107 miles per hour in 1.8 seconds. Da-dumpa! Yeah. Go watch that video on YouTube. Da-dumpa at Fuji-Q Highlands. And what's crazy is, you know, the first few of these coasters known as thrust air models didn't work out well. They were unreliable nope. and all of them, except for Dodompa, closed within one year or in some cases, four days from opening. <laughs> as time went on, they did become more reliable, 
because they didn't quite push to the limits at such high speeds. Um, a few of these coasters that still operate today include Powder Keg at Silver Dollar City, which opened in 2004, and Max Force at Six Flags Great America, which opened in 2019. That looks like an amazing ride. Yes. Max Force. Absolutely. Powder Keg looks enjoyable. Powder Keg well. is definitely the most reliable because it's literally, you didn't really hear much about downtime from 2004. And I mean, by the, think about how many of their coasters closed. I mean, I did get to ride Hypersonic mm -hmm. at King's Dominion. And the launch was, I mean, that was a launch. But the ride loaded like eight people at a time. It took five to 10 minutes between trains. Yeah. It, it literally, it was closed more than it was open, you know, so I'm not surprised. Well, that's what, Dodompa had, had like the hypersonic vibe to it. Yeah. They had that top hat, but then they took the top hat out and they just made a vertical loop. Yeah. So now, but yeah, that ride top looks hat was amazing. And while most of the coasters that use the, this technology don't exist anymore, a lot of people still have rode this same kind of technology. The same pneumatic power is used in rides like the Power Tower at Cedar Point and other Space Shot and Turbo Drop rides. And then finally, in terms of launches, we have the... Ow. <laughs> I haven't heard of that ride. <laughs> the Ow. Is it next to the Dodompa? It's the Hanging Bag. Dodompa! Dodompa! Finally... In terms of launches, we have the tired propelled launch. So it's pretty self-explanatory. So tires are on the sides or beneath the track to push the trains forward or backwards as as speeds dictate. So it, it was an old technology started in 1980 by Anton Schwarzkopf on the one-of-a-kind bullet coaster. So in the late 1990s, the technology improved for higher launch speeds, and the most famous being the launch lift hill on the Incredible Hulk at Universal's Islands of Adventure down in Orlando, Florida. Now, some other coasters that use this technology are the Fire Chaser Express at Dollywood and the newer Wave Breaker at SeaWorld San Antonio. So, I mean, it's a lot for launch coasters. When we first were looking to make launch coasters, like, the technical term of the week, I was amazed at how many different types there were. So yeah. sorry if that was long-winded and took you back to science class. Um, but the launch coasters, they're popular. Actually, the fastest roller coasters in the world are all launch coasters. Yes, yes. Now, do you guys remember the first launch coaster you ever rode? So I, the first launch coaster I ever rode was Laser Loop at Kennywood. Um, the flywheel. Um, but I have ridden Superman Ultimate Escape at Six Flags Ohio, which is a limb coaster, was, was. a limb coaster, um, and also was Six Flags World of Adventure and Geoga Lake after that, yep. as we discussed last last week. Um, Storm Runner at Hershey. That's probably my favorite hydraulic coaster, just because it's not out, up, down, and Breaks. I haven't been on it since it got the new restraints, which I'm so excited. I was on it when it had the Maverick restraints. Yeah. So the old Maverick restraints. Yeah, that's how I rode it too. But now they have the vests mm -hmm. and I can't wait to ride it with the vests. Yes. Um, of course, Maverick um, and then Hulk, both both versions of Hulk, the old Hulk and the new Hulk, the retract Hulk. So I'd love launch coasters. I think they're a lot of fun, which makes us. Well, makes me look forward to Velocicoaster. 
Yep. What about you, Chris? You know, I was really trying to rack my brain to figure out what the first launch coaster was that I rode. And I actually thought it was Wicked Twister, which is kind of depressing because Wicked Twister is the definition of a meh roller coaster in my mind. It's really, for me at least, it's not really worth waiting for, even if it's a walk-on. And that's if you can even fit on it. I barely fit onto Wicked Twister. I swear that type of coaster, they keep tightening like the seatbelt length on the restraints. Yep. When I was younger, I remember being able to do the seat buckle all the way to the back and I'd still have room. Now I do the other seat buckle and I barely get the restraint closed. And but, I'm not that large of a guy. Right. That's like an intimate thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you've met like Millennium Forces like that, Topical Dragsters well, like that. It's the park though too. Because I've ridden the same ride at Six Flags Parks. That seat buckle gives you plenty of room. It's yeah. definitely the park chain that controls a lot of that, yeah, too. It's, I mean, even from, like, yeah. They're they're very tight at Cedar Point. Yeah. We'll put it that way with so, their intimates. So, Chris, you thought it was Wicked Twister, but... But Tim jogged my memory, as so many memories get jogged on this podcast. Random things we haven't thought about in years get dislodged in our subconscious and apparently my first launch coaster was actually superman ultimate escape at what was jaga lake six flags whatever you want to call it and i think i realized one of the reasons i block it out of my memory as i said before i really don't like going backwards and that's (laughs) sort of the whole point of that ride yeah now for me just like tim my first launch coaster experience was the laser loop at kennywood in 1990 Um, It is an important memory for me because it is what made me love roller coasters. When I was a kid, I was terrified of roller coasters. I wouldn't ride them. I'd watch them all day and tell my parents how great they look, but I wouldn't ride them. Kenny would announce they were closing the laser loop. So my Uncle Jerry grabbed me, kicking, screaming, and crying, threw me down on the seat, put the lap bar down, and said, you're riding. And I rode the laser loop, and that is the coaster that made me fall in love with roller coasters. So it does mean a lot to me. My other like launch coaster experience that I always remember, when the Outer Limits Flight of Fear opened at Kings Island in 1996. Um, I loved the th- I still to this day think that is one of the best themed indoor roller coasters anywhere um, because of the storyline and the theme. Even though it's no longer Outer Limits, it's just Flight of Fear, it's still great. But I remember riding it that year because we stood in line for three hours. The line went through the indoor queue, the outdoor queue, and then backed up like around the parks midway. I will never forget that, but it was great. And that was with the old restraints and it was awful. But that's my memories. Is that the one you walk up into the UFO for? Yes. (laughs) Yes. It's, It's such a great ride. Such a great lead up. Is that like an indoor Jekers Jinx? Yeah, it is. It's the exact same ride? ride. Mm -hmm. Exact same ride, except it's indoors. Those old spaghetti bowls. Yes. Yep. But in the dark with different lighting. I mean, they've changed it over the years, but just the theming, that station, that's one of my favorite coaster stations of all time. You're literally in the middle of a UFO. It looks like a scene from the old Independence Day film. Yeah. That's cool. So take us home, Tim. Word. I'm already here. <laughs> so I think with that, uh, let's uh, wrap it up. So again, 
stay tuned. We're going to cover more of the present day Cedar Point, including all of the fantastic roller coasters that Cedar Point has to offer currently uh, next week. So look for that probably next Friday or Saturday. And we're also going to have another drink of the week, which I think we have a pretty good one planned for next week um, that I think everybody's going to enjoy and is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, if you didn't like the ginger beer twist today, you'll like the one next week. Uh, I think it's going to be magnificent. Yes. Um, To the 200th power. Extra large. Yes. (laughs) So with that, um, again... You can find us at our website, www.zerogadventures.com. We are on Facebook, facebook.com slash zero G adventures. Also on Instagram, zero underscore G underscore adventures. And on Twitter at zero G adventures. Definitely give us some feedback. Let us know what, what you would like to hear. Let us know what you liked. Let us know what you would like to see. We definitely want to start to include some listeners into our podcast in terms of Q&A. So Leave us some questions, leave us some comments so that we can include you next week. And with that, I think that's about it. Now, the one thing I do want to say, though, um, there are six total articles that we're writing on Cedar Point on our website that talk about the history, the roller coasters of the past and the roller coasters of today. There's literally six articles within this week and next week that are going to be on the site. So make sure you check it out. Absolutely. And I think we got some cool things coming out on YouTube in the next couple weeks that we're looking to expand upon and have some videos so that you can see us and be with us um, while we do our podcast each week. And be on the lookout for some drink of the week outtakes because we got some pretty good ones for you. But I think that's about it. We say. We done. We done. Do we call this order the Midnight Society done? It's done. I believe so. Word to your mother.